0: Well, Kathy and I would like to thank you for uh, supporting our kids, and uh, not only prayerfully supporting them, encouraging them, but financially supporting them so that we don't have to do it, and so we'd like to thank you here at Antioch for doing that, and um, it's great to see him in ministry, Kim and Kip, Uh, Kip's uh, with the youth group uh, at the Mariner game, so he knew ministry would be, you know, I was a youth pastor, and he was in the youth group, and so he knew that you actually get paid to do things like this. And then he did it, so, you know, made sense to me. But well, I'd like to share this morning about a friend of mine. His name was Virgil Van Dyke. People just called him Van. I met him in the church where I was the youth pastor right out of college. And if you asked Van this question, if you said, Van, who are you? Van would say, I am a truck driver. That's what he'd tell you. So one day I went to his house, I had an opportunity to go visit his home in Redmond, Washington. It was up in Kirkland where our church was at. And on the way there, I was with our senior pastor. He looked over me and he said, did Van tell you he was a truck driver? And I said, yeah. And he just smiled at me. That's all he did. So we pulled up to this gated fence. The gate opened up. We drove in, White, white fence, green pastures, beautiful horses running around, this humongous home. Drove up there and I was looking like, Van's a truck driver? Well, he was a truck driver. He was a man with an eighth grade education, who knew a lot of things he knew about people he knew about business he knew about horses but what van did was this van ended up having the biggest trucking company in Seattle that could haul anything that was heavy you have seen those bridge girders that were being driven down the i5 then they have the guy in the back driving the rear wheels it was that type of company that van dyke owned and so van was a man who knew a lot of different things but he also knew jesus came to a faith later in his life in his 40s, came to faith in Christ. And he was a straightforward kind of guy. He was the kind of guy that just knew how to get down to the bottom line. So if you ask Van, you know, who are you? Van would say, I'm a truck driver. But I found this to be true. Jesus wanted to say something to the world through Van Dyke. One of my favorite Van Dyke stories is he was in a restaurant eating breakfast with our senior pastor. He's sitting down. He's kind of a rough guy truck driver kind of guy, and so this guy walks in, he worked for him, and Van looks across the restaurants and he sees this guy, and he goes, hey, Joe, Joe, you still living in sin? Get over here. And the guy kind of looked, he said, you you living in sin? Get over here. Get over here. The guy comes over, and he's kind of mad, and Van Dak goes, sit down. And the guy's looking at him, I said, sit down. So he sits down, then he hits our pastor. Okay, preacher, tell him. That was the kind of guy that he was. You know, so this morning, I want you to think about this question. Who are you? Who are you? Our goal is to look at a man in the Bible who had a life-changing experience. And I really think the bottom line principle, if we leave anything today, if you leave here this morning, is this. I really want you to think about this one thought, and that is God wants to say something to the world through you, through each one of us. The man I want to look at in the Bible, his name was Simon. And if you ask Simon, who are you? He wouldn't say, I am a judge on American Idol. I mean, you are going to watch it this week? Be honest. <laughs> the men are like this. The women are going, yeah, yeah, you know. How am are going to watch 24 this week? That's right. Yeah, that's a good show. It's a Christian show. We're waiting for Jack Bauer to come to (laughs) faith. Hasn't happened yet, but he's getting closer every year. More sensitive. See more of a sensitive side to him. I just see that God's at work in his life. You just don't know it yet. But if you ask Simon, who are you? Simon would say this. Simon would say, I am a fisherman. That's what he would say. I am a fisherman. One of my favorite movies, and some of you have seen this, and a guy actually gave me a fly box, is A River Runs Through It. And on this fly box a friend of mine gave me, it has a quote from the movie, and it said this. Norman McLean. he said, In our family there was no clear line between religion and fly fishing. We lived at the junction of the great trout rivers in western Montana, and our father was a Presbyterian minister and a fly fisherman who tied his own flies and taught others as well. He told us about Christ's disciples being fishermen, and we were left to assume, as my brother and I did, that all first-class fishermen on the Sea of Galilee were fly fishermen, and that John the favorite was a dry fly fisherman. We're going to look at this man. His name is Simon. You know him as Peter. His story is on Luke chapter 5, so if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn there. Luke chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. And what I want you to see, first of all, is a day in the life of Jesus. He started his teaching ministry as he moves around, people follow him. The crowds are starting to get bigger and bigger. And we find him on the Sea of Galilee in a normal day teaching people. And notice what happens. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. says, One day as Jesus was standing by the Sea of Galilee with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God. In other words, he's along this shoreline. The people are kind of crowded in on him. And so what he does is this. He sees this man, Simon Peter, and he sees two boats. And I want you want to notice is that we're gonna find out Jesus and Simon are gonna help each other out. First of all, notice this. Simon gives Peter, or Simon gives Jesus his boat, verse two. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put a little more, put a little farther out from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. The acoustics must have been amazing. Ever been camping along a lake? And you can hear everybody talking as it goes across the lake. Remember that? You can hear all kinds of things. People don't think you can hear them, but you can. Ever had like kids screaming? It just comes out across the water. I have a friend that I fish with. And when he loses a big fish, he gets excited. And then he sometimes has kind of a potty mouth. And so we're at East Lake. You ever been to East Lake? Beautiful. It's quiet. The wind wasn't blowing. People are camping there. We're out there, not too far from the shoreline. He loses this big fish, and he lets out—not a good word. And we see this little mom. We start laughing. This mom goes over, grabs her kid, puts her hands over the ears, takes her back to the tent. You know, but that's what it's like. I mean, everything echoes out. So Jesus is in the boat. He kicks out or Simon moves the boat out from the water a little bit out into the lake and he starts speaking and the, and the acoustics are amazing as it goes up and all the people can hear him. And so Jesus gives Simon a fishing tip to pay him back. I love verse four. It says this, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, master, we've worked hard all night and have caught nothing. Jesus is basically saying this, Simon, you still got the skunk on. How I mean, you know what it is to have the skunk on? If you're a fisherman, it means you haven't caught anything. I keep a journal when I fish, and I come in and I write what happened that day. And I looked it up, and one of my, one of my entries is about Haystack Reservoir. It's always a tough place for me. And it says, I couldn't get the skunk off all day, which basically means what? I didn't catch anything, zero. So I know how fishermen think. Most fishing guides are a little arrogant. In other words, they believe they know more than the other people. And that's true. They probably do. Simon knew the lake, the Sea of Galilee. He'd fished there probably his whole life. And so he knew the water. And secondly, if you're into fishing, you know that fishing at night is way better than fishing when the sun is straight up over the water. And it's flat. Because the fish hide. They just go deep. And they kind of hide out. So maybe... Simon's thinking, Jesus, maybe you misread your, you know, uh, like fish finder. I have a fish finder that fits on my little float tube. It's called a fishing buddy. It's the greatest thing ever. It runs on batteries. And Kathy got it uh, to me for Christmas. And she goes into the sportsman's warehouse. And she really didn't know what it was. And she says to the guy, she goes, yep, my husband needs a fishing buddy. I think you sell it here. And she was thinking like, maybe it's a blow-up thing, you know what I mean? <laughs> this guy's a loser, no one wants to fish with them. You blow up this little thing and put it in the boat with you, put a fishing rod in his hand so it looks like you're not by yourself. <laughs> and finally, the, she gets to the right guy who says, oh yeah, I know what that is. And it's just a little depth finder that fits on your float tube that runs on batteries. And so when I first got this thing, the fishing, but it has a little screen on it. So I get out, we're trying it out, the very first time I kick out into the lake and I turn it on and it says we're in 20 feet of water and it has, you know, it's little fish when a fish shows up and it has a little sound, beep, 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 and I tell, you know, I'm going, I tell my buddy Mark, Mark, there's fish everywhere. So we're like locked in, you know, the fishing buddy's working and I'm all excited. And then I see this guy in a boat and he's got a little fishing buddy too and I said, how, how deep is it? And he goes, 12 feet, 12 feet. I look at mine, says 20. So I go back and check it. I had it on the demo mode. <laughs> it was great. Yeah, so, so I've learned that when I'm fishing and there's no fish, on, I just go to the demo mode. It just gets me excited. <laughs> there's fish everywhere, you know. Oh, my gosh. So I want you to notice the last part of verse five. Out of common courtesy, Simon says this to Jesus. But because you say... I will let down my nets. In other words, think about it this way. Why is it that we only do what God does, wants us to do, as the last resort? Why is it the last thing that we do? I mean, Jesus said, hey, put your nets out, and Simon's thinking of all the reasons it's not gonna work, we've done fished all night, and that's so true with us. God gives us something to do, or God is the, the answer to our issues, or God's gonna give us peace, and it's the last person we turn to is him. Instead of the first person. So the real question, was the tip any good? Because I don't know about you, I've, I've received fishing tips that were no good. Remember fishing one time on the Deschutes River? I stopped by the riffle place, you know. I got this fly, goes, this fly's money. I go fish the Deschutes, I got the fly on, I catch nothing. Don't even get a bite. And I'm thinking, that's bogus information. Couldn't be the fly, had to be the fly, had to be, you know, the information. It couldn't have been the fisherman, never that. I'm too fragile, I couldn't take it. So, it was the tip any good? Verse 6, look what it says. When they had done so, they caught a large number of fish, and their nets began to break. So, they signaled their partners, filled both their boats, and they began to sink. In other words, they found the honey hole. Jesus tells them, hey, go out, throw your nets here. They did it. Boom. Nets are so full of fish that they bring their partner out. Their boats are completely full of fish. So Jesus gives Simon a fishing tip. But I want you to notice what happens next. We're going to answer the question, who are you? And I want you to notice that Simon looks at Jesus, verse 8. Look what it says there. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Think about it. At that moment in time, If you asked Simon, who are you, he would have said this, I am a sinful man. Let me ask you this question. Who brought up sin? Who brought up sin? Jesus never mentioned sin. Jesus never said this. You know, Simon, the reason you don't catch any fish is because you have sin in your life. That's why you don't catch any fish. How many of you never catch fish when you go? Now you know why. Now you know why there's sin in your life. I thought about putting out a DVD, "Get Right and Catch More Fish" by Reverend Kelly Jones. It'd be a bestseller. Put it out at sportsman's warehouse, make a little info commercial, you know, on the outdoor channel. Who brought up? The whole concept of sin. I remember a friend of mine when I lived in Seattle. Kathy and I lived there. From like 1976 to 84, and, and while we were there, the Sonics, when Seattle had a team, actually were good. And a guy on their team from Illinois' Wesleyan was a guy named Jack Sigma. How many remember Jack Sigma? Big Jack Sigma. 6'11", big white guy. A friend of mine became friends with him. He was single, and he said, hey, he goes, I'm having Jack Sigma over for dinner. Do you want to come? Sure. So I go over there, and Sigma comes, and wherever, you know, and he's 6'11", and you can tell by the old shorts, <laughs> he had really long legs. So we walked in and just stepped over the chair like this to sit down for dinner. It was the funniest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> so we're sitting there just eating dinner, talking, you know, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, my buddy says this, hey, you know, Jack, Kelly played college basketball, I thought to myself, bring it on, Jack. You name, the t- you name the place. Anytime, anywhere, you're 6'11", I'm 5'8", no problem. I thought to myself, no, why? I looked at my friend, I gave him a stink eye, serious stink eye. Like, why are you doing this? Why did you have to bring that up? Well, imagine talking to Jesus and bringing up the issue of sin. Hey, Jesus, when was the last time you sinned? Never. How much do you know about my sin? Everything? Wow. So what happened here? Why did after such a great catch of fish, did Peter, Simon Peter, fall at Jesus' feet and ask him to depart? Because he was a sinful man. Why? I believe this. Peter knew fishing, and he knew that only one person can make this happen, this many fish, and that was the Messiah. And if you look at it, you've got to look at it this way. When Peter came to the realization of who Jesus was, the Messiah, he immediately came to the realization of who he was, a sinful man. And it really comes down to this. It needs to be more of him and less of us. That's what it needs to be. More him and less of us. The more we look at him, the more we get to know him, the clearer we see who we are and how he wants us to be. Peter wasn't the only one astonished at the catch. It says in verse 9, so were James and John as partners. They all were amazed at what just took place. And so Simon looks at Jesus. But I want you to notice what else happens in verse 10. Jesus looks at Simon, and I want you to notice what he says, verse 10. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. From now on, Peter, you're going to catch men. This phrase from now on in the Greek literally means this. Your future course of action will be to catch men. That's what you're going to go after. That's what you're going to be fishing for. In other words, Jesus was saying to Simon, I want to say something to the world through you. You know, why did Jesus pick simple men like Simon and James and John to do his work? They were ordinary, kind of rough men. If you study the book of Acts, you're going to find this. You're going to find out that in Acts chapter 2, the church started with 120 people. And in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches the very first sermon. And it says there that 3,000 were added in one day. So Peter stands up. He's a fisherman. He preaches the very first message, 3,000 people come to faith. And then we find out later on that that, uh, he preaches again the second sermon. And they add another 5,000 onto that. And so then Peter and John get arrested, and they get brought before the Sanhedrin. And in that group of Jewish leaders was Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas. And if you remember their names, it was because they were there. They were responsible for the death of Christ, being crucified a short time before that. And it says here that Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to these men, Hey, you are responsible for Jesus being crucified. He said, But God raised him from the dead. And in Acts 4.12, Peter says... Salvation is found in no one, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And on recognizing what had happened here, the Jewish leaders were amazed, and here's what they said. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note of these men had been with Jesus. In other words, these men had been there with Jesus. Jesus wanted to say something to the world through them. Verse 11 of chapter 5 back in Luke, what did these people do? What did Peter, James, and John, what did they do? It says in verse 11, they pulled up their, their boats on the shore, left everything, and followed him. Wait a minute. They had just had the biggest catch ever. They pulled their boats up on the shore. They're completely full of fish. So full, they were sinking. And it said that they left them to follow Jesus. In other words, they left all of that money. And it sounds like they weren't great fishermen. They were washing their nets instead of like catching fish. They had caught nothing all night. Here they have a bumper crop of fish, and they leave it all behind to follow him. If you've ever read the book by Francis Chan, Crazy Love, he makes this statement. He says, a person obsessed with Jesus will do things that don't make sense in terms of success or wealth on this earth. And that was Peter, James, and John. So I want you to think this morning with me. Peter was a master fisherman, master fisherman, and he's going to give us a few tips on fishing. If You see this picture here. I'm not the one holding the fish, but I was involved in the Sparrow Club fly fishing tournament, and they asked me to kind of be a guide, which I'm not, but to help this guy out. And this guy was on my team, and he was up on the bank fishing on the bank, and he wasn't catching anything, and so I had this fly that I found out started to work, and I went over to him, I kicked over and said, here, put this on, throw it out, let it sink, and strip it really slow. And I hear this, woo I look over, and he had this about, you know, five, six-pounder on, which he got in. But I have a friend named Denny Rickards, and he is a master fisherman. He's from Fort Klamath. And this guy can fish. He can fish like nobody I've ever been around. And I went fishing with him one time, and we're at this Hyde Lake, and I'm gearing up, you know, if you get out all your fly gear and you put your rod out and you put your line through, and the last part of your leader that you tie onto your fly line is called tippet. And you tie it on and it's you know, like 3X, 4X, 5X, it says how, um, how much weight it will hold. So I'm putting 4X tippets, like seven pound test leader on. I'm tying it on and Denny just looks at me and he says, hey Kelly, uh, what size tippet are you using? I'm going 4X. And all he said to me was, good luck. What do you mean Good luck. And he goes, I go, what are you using? I am go, I'm using two. I snip it off, put on 3X. And then he said, did you get that new fly line I was telling you about? He had told me that my fly line sink too fast. I go, no, I haven't got that. And he looks at me and he says, oh, that's okay. He says, I'll catch twice as many fish as you. I'm competitive. And by then I'd about had it with this guy. I was almost ready to say, Put your money where your mouth is, Rickards. I didn't have any money, but I was going to say it. I was about ready to take this guy on. But for some reason, I kept my mouth shut. I'm so glad I did. He didn't catch twice as many fish as me. He knew where every fish was in the lake. I mean, I would fish this one spot, and I would throw it out there real, real, you know, strip it in, nothing. He'd go, got another one, just like. I just had to leave him because I was getting so upset. I was going to pop his float tube. <laughs> Psst, there goes Denny, you know. I just couldn't handle it. But I wanted to give you some fishing tips from a master, master fisherman. His name is Peter. He was an ordinary, untrained kind of guy. But as later on in his ministry, after all that he experienced, he wrote a couple books in the New Testament. And one of his books is 1 Peter. And in there he's going to give us a couple... Really simple fishing tips on how to fish for men. The first tip he's going to give us is this. He says, let your life be your message. Let your life be your message. In 1 Peter 3, verses 1 and 2, the context is this. Let's say you're married to somebody who's not a believer. How do you witness to that person? But well, you can take it even farther than that. Maybe you work with people that aren't believers. How do you witness to that person? Maybe your neighbors aren't believers. How do you witness to that person? Well, in 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2, he says, If any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without a word by your behavior. In other words, he's saying, hey, live out your faith on a daily basis. You know, putting notes on their mirror, turn or burn, isn't going to work. It's not real effective. Wearing a a sandwich board around the house, you know, that says repent of your sin or, you know, you're going to hell. Not real effective when it comes to being a witness. And so he says, hey, observation is important. He says, as they watch your behavior. The second tip is real important as well. The second tip he said there in 1 Peter is let your message be your hope. Let your message be your hope. And you have to remember this. This is a real important principle. A lot of people try to live a good life and be a good example as a Christian. That's important. A lot of people try to do that. But I want to make something perfectly clear. Nobody ever comes to faith in Christ by just watching your example. Your example is important. But they can't come to faith by just watching your example. Someone has to share with them who Jesus is and what he did for them. So Peter wrote this, 1 Peter 3.15. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who speaks. To you, to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and with respect. In other words, somewhere along the way, when someone asks about your faith, you need to be able to share the hope that you have in Christ. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say here, share why the world is going to hell in a handbasket. You know, he didn't say share why you don't believe in the Big Bang theory. He didn't say share why you shouldn't listen to hip hop music. And I. How many listen to hip-hop music? That's okay, you've been forgiven. (laughs) I'm old, I just don't understand it. That's all I can say. That's what he didn't say. What he did say was this. He said, share about the hope you have in Christ. What Christ has brought to your life, forgiveness and freedom and peace and joy. Nobody can argue with the changed life. Nobody can argue with that. He didn't say start an argument or put down their beliefs or their lifestyle. He, he said, No, you share this with gentleness and with respect. When people come to your house on Saturday morning and they knock on your door and you peek out the window and you see who they are and you lock the door and you shut the curtains, you turn the TV off, you tell your kids to be quiet, you grab your dog and you muzzle him and you hold your breath hoping they will disappear and leave and you peek and wait for them to walk away. That's not what Peter said. Peter said, open the door. Say, hey, what are you doing? They're going to share with you some stuff. Here's what you're going to say. You're going to say, I want to tell you of the joy that I have in Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you the hope of what he's done in my life. Totally forgive me of all my sins. So excited about who he is and what he's done for me. Share the hope you have in Christ. I tell you what, what people know about Christianity is what we're against. That's what they know. What they think about Christians is that we don't like this, and we don't do this, and we don't like that, and we don't do this, and we don't like this. And the problem is they don't really know who we are. We're people of hope. We're people who've been radically forgiven of all of our sin. We're people of joy. And I really firmly believe that what they need to hear is what Christ has done for us. The hope that we have. And how do we share it with gentleness and with respect? In other words, we don't get in their face. We respect who they are. We respect what they believe. But we share that we have so much hope in Christ. And you know what we're really saying? And this is totally true. We're really saying this. Guess what? You have nothing that I need. Nothing that I need. All that I need is in him. He's given me all that I need in Christ. Therefore, I'm going to share the hope that I have changed life tips from a master fisherman so this morning we've looked at when you ask Peter Simon who are you he would have said I am a fisherman in his last book here's what he said Simon Peter a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ in other words Simon came to this realization that God wanted to say something to the world through him that's what God wanted to do so if I asked you this morning who are you what would you say I would say, I'm Kelly Jones. I'm the program director at Bridges Academy. And like you, I would say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what I am. And you know something? Jesus wants to say something to the world through me, through you, and through your church, Antioch Church. That's why you're here, to speak to the world. He says to us this morning, follow me, and from now on you will catch men. You will catch women. And you will catch families. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning for all that you've given to us. We thank you for this passage, the story of Simon Peter and how he came to faith. Lord, I'm so thankful that you take us just the way that we are. Each one of us is a different person. Each one of us have different occupations, different things that we do. There are those here this morning who are teachers, those that are housewives. There are those who are workers, those who do retail. There are those who are computer-oriented. There's all different kinds of occupations here. And we might say, this is who I am. This is what I do. And you would say to us, follow me, and you will catch men. Lord, I'm so convinced that you want to speak to the world through each one of us here. And that's why we're here. That's why you didn't take us home the minute we crossed that line of faith and came to you. And Lord, through your Holy Spirit today, I just pray that as we leave this place, you would place those people into our lives. You would burden our heart with those people around us who you've sent us out to speak to, who we are the one they're going to know. And we're going to have that opportunity, that door will be open to share our faith. And Lord, help us to share in hope and faith all that you've given to us in Christ. Lord, I'm so thankful for this church, Antioch Church here in Bend. I just pray that you would allow them to continue to reach the people in their sphere of influence in this community. In Jesus' name, amen.